Are we going to have two babies born in the same week? Maybe. I know, you don't sit over there, right? Oh, ma'am. <laughs> All right, well, let's, uh, we'll let them finish passing these out and we'll get started with a word of prayer. Thank you. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and, and worship you and to sing, sing praises to you here in a little bit and to, to learn about your word. I just ask you to be with all of us uh, as we go through this class and, and learn on studying your word, Lord. I ask that you be with uh, the, the, the two families that we have who will be uh, giving birth to in the next couple of weeks. Just ask you bless them, let it be safe, and bless them with wonderful, healthy children, Lord. Again, I just ask you to be with us, uh, the congregation. It's just been a, a rough patch. It seems like, well, not just whole year, but especially the last couple of weeks, and just be with the families who are hurting and struggling, going through some hard times right now. It's in Christ. Let me pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue this uh, study on why do we believe what we believe. And in the last couple of weeks, we've kind of looked at some of our, our methods, some of our uh, interpret, interpretation um, examples. And, and the different types of uh, methods that we're, we're looking at. Uh, so we're going to look this week at um, what we could, what, what, and I mentioned a little bit last week, is, is the theological interpretation, meaning interpreting the Bible through the study of God, through studying God and His story, and then kind of apply that. And, and as we go through and look, we're going to see that this is, this is really the method that, that the Apostle Paul used that um, most of the writers of the New Testament, if you look at the, how they, they wrote the New Testament, every point or every subject usually that they're writing about, they either start with or end with in God or in Christ, pointing back to either the story of God or, or the story of how Christ was the example of how this was used. And, all, and, and like we talked about last week, they used the Old Testament story to do that. They used the Old Testament to, to point through that. So... I'm going to uh, go through, and we're going to look at the, the hermeneutic. Anyone familiar with that word? Hermeneutic, hermeneutics? It, it's, it's the, it's the um, sorry, my mind just went completely blank. The method of interpretation. How you, how you uh, interpret the Bible, how you interpretate something uh, that you're reading. And, and we all have, I, I, call, I like to call it a filter or a lens, right? It's, it's, it's an easier word to say. So it's, it's, we all have a way of reading things. So even when we read books, when we read, you know, when we read news stories, you know, if I am a conservative and I read a news story, I'm going to read that or interpret that news story through a conservative lens. Right? If I'm a liberal, then I'm going to read that same news story through a liberal lens, right? And so it's kind of the same way. It's how we, the lens in which we read the Bible and how we, how we pull the information out of it that, that we're looking at. So we're going to kind of look this week. We've talked about the blueprint uh, side. Well, now we're going to look at the theological side. 
of how that works. And we're going to compare the two. And then next week what I'm going to do, because I'm not going to get rid of the, I can't get rid of our, obviously the commands and examples and, and, and the necessary inference that we talked about. There's commands in the Bible, there's examples in the Bible, and then there's areas where we're just going to have to use the best inference that we can by studying it, knowing the, the, the culture and the times of how that should apply. But we're, instead of looking at it through a, a, just a blueprint lens of things, we're actually going to look through, try to apply that through the story of God. And some people say, well, there's not really a difference. I think if you, if you look at it, and, and what we're going to do today, there is a difference, and, and, and it makes a difference in, in how we react to things, I think, sometimes, and where it can lead the church, which some of the examples that we've seen there. Go ahead. And, and so that's, I think, what we're, hopefully I'll, I'll show a little bit. If you follow just that, then it, le it leads to that Pharisaic-type attitude or, or, or methodology, methodology in the church a lot of times. So uh, we'll look at that and we'll, we'll see that. So the hermeneutic here is the method of interpretation. And the main thing that we're going to look at, and one thing that I've done, and you'll probably see in here, I've taken silence of the Scriptures out. I personally, this is my personal opinion, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, I don't think you find the silence of the Scripture type interpretation in the Bible anywhere. I don't th really think you can find that. And I think if you study that like we have, that leads to a lot of problems. Because if you, if you make that an authority and interpret in the Bible, like I said, then, then really you have to go back almost, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well... There's, a little, there's silence here, so we've got to follow that, but there's not silence here, or there's silence here when it comes to this subject, but we can say we can do it because of the times or the culture or the whatever. I think if you, if you try to apply that, to, you, you run into a lot of trouble, and we, I think we've shown that. You know, I mean, like I talked about two weeks ago, if we really truly followed silence of the Scriptures, we would not be where we're at right now. We, we wouldn't, because none of this, everything that we're, we're doing right here None of this is authorized in the Bible. There was no buildings. There was no sound systems. There was no electricity. There was no... And so you're like, well, that's taking it to an extreme. But if you follow the, the logic of that, that's what it leads to. Or you have to make exceptions. And then when you have to start making exceptions, then where do you make exceptions in some areas and where do you make exceptions in other areas? So I think if you follow this, what we're going to look at, I think it leads to a pretty solid... Uh, theological state and, and, and kind of really leads back and we'll show that next week to most of the beliefs we have anyway but in a, in a different method so the mystery of Christ is anyone in here uh, I know I got it on here and I, again this is why I don't like doing notes sometimes what is the mystery of Christ <laughs> there, I mean, there is There's even, even what's interesting and sometimes I don't know if we pick it up as you're reading the Bible, even the apostles sometimes will, will say, this is a confusing subject, or this is hard to understand. But if we dig down into it, what is the actual mystery of Christ that was kind of hidden? If something's a mystery and you've got to find it, what, you know, what was it uh, um, in the Old Testament that we can see? A lot of it's going to be 
the plan of the 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 plan that God had laid out for Christ to actually save the entire world. Right? For the longest times the Jews thought what? Keep the law and that they were the only ones, they were the special people, right? That they were the they were the one, right? And you had to become like them. And so Jesus comes and flips that on his head. Right? But the entire mystery of Christ we're going to look at, we're going to look through all, all of Ephesians here. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. He says, For the reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake uh, of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which, is given, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known. It was hidden. So it was hidden to even, even the Jews, to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Again, as you read this, he's talking about the, the entire plan. And we're going to see this a little bit as, as we go through it. The entire plan of the Old Testament, of God, before time started, that he had for Jesus and, and for what he was going to do. And how basically, you know, a lot of times we'll say the Bible is a, 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 a book of laws or a book of rules for us to follow to get to heaven. Actually, the Bible is the story of Jesus from the beginning to the end. If you, if you look at it, everything from the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Everything after, or you got your Gospels which tell the, the story of Jesus. And everything after it is us following through on how to be like Jesus and how to come to him and how, and then how to save the rest, the rest of the world. So that's kind of what we're going we're gonna to look at as we, as we go through this. And I'm going to use Ephesians. One is kind of short, but I like, I like the way that Paul wrote Ephesians. If you look at the way he wrote Ephesians, it is basically the entire gospel message wrapped up in six short chapters and kind of how we are to, to, to do that. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read Ephesians as if I was looking at it through what we, what the lens of, of a blueprint method, right? And that is going through and just kind of basically you read it and you find the laws that are in there or the rules that we are to apply and just follow that. Then I'm going to come back through Ephesians and read it more from a theological, the story of God, looking at it through, through the story of Christ type of lens and see you know, what that looks like and how it looks different and why we can see sometimes maybe why that may be a better way of, of going about it. So if we start in Ephesians 1, and I'm not, we're not going to read through all these. It would take us too long to read through Ephesians twice. But if you read through Ephesians 1 through just a, a, blue, a blueprint type of, of method here, you look, and so in verse 1, it says we have to be faithful followers, so we need to be faithful followers. 2, we must praise God, in verse 6. In verse 11, we must be united in order to receive the inheritance. So that's one of the, the, the examples there. In verse 13, you have hearing and believing as part of the, the salvation. So these, we, we tie these to the, the five steps examples. And then 15, we're commanded to have a that we must have a strong faith. Again, I'm going to go through these pretty quick, so if you're trying to read through them, my, my, my idea here is to take notes and then go back and, and read this as you go through it. 
read it and go through it. And, you, and you'll see a little bit of, the, uh, of how that works. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, if you're disobedient, you're not following the plan. Verses 4 through 18, and I am I'm, I'm honest as I go through this, like I said I would be, we don't like these verses a lot. Because this talks about, and we're going to look at this, this talks about salvation through grace, no works. And so we, you know, there's a hint of Calvinism in there. Right, we're saved by grace. We, we can't take credit for it because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for anything we've done. And we are created new in Christ. I'm going to be honest with you, even growing up in the church, we didn't really focus on these verses a lot because a lot of questions come out of these verses. This is some of that stuff that, that's the meat. It's a little bit harder to understand. And so we've kind of stayed with it. And there's not a lot of commands in there. It's just a, more of a description of, of how grace works and, and how are we say it. So we're going to look at that. Verse 15, again, uh, in that we... we We'll, well, I'll go back to it as we go through it. We, we like to stay away from that one a little bit too because it breaks down the laws. and the, it, it talks about breaking down the laws and the commands and the regulations. Well, if we're doing that, we're, we're not following the, the blueprint method anymore. That kind of takes away from some of the stuff we're trying to do. So we'll, we'll look at that. Ephesians 3 the, in the blueprint area. Verse 6, we, we see the believe again. So again, that's one of our, our five steps. Uh, 6B talks about the one body. And so, you know, again, that's no everyone's supposed to be one, no denominations. 10 sometimes is used, and we'll, and we'll look at it a little bit, about uh, using uh, involvement with government or uh, a, a, uh, using that verse to say, oh, look, this talks about how the, the, the Bible was going to be used for um, to, to reach the authorities and the rulers. And so that kind of justifies us being a lot more involved in, in government maybe sometimes than we should. And then verse 21 is pray. So we're to pray. Now we really like Ephesians 4 and 5 because there's a lot of lists in there of commands, right? Ephesians 4, 1, leave a worthy life. 2, be humble, gentle, patient. 3, be united. Verse 4, one body and one spirit. Back to our, you know, the no denominations. Five and six, there's, you know, when we're going to look at this verse, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Again, we, we tie that into the five steps. And then there's no denomination. Eleven and fourteen gives us our examples for evangelists, teachers, and elders. We, we don't have the apostles because of the, the definition for apostles in there. And that's used for, for knowledge and building up. And then 17 and through 24 talks about the new life we're to live, cast off the old one, and then verses 25 through 32 is a list of the things that we should not do. Any questions so far, or am I going too fast? And I see some of you trying to <laughs> go back and forth. Okay, it's going to be kind of hard. I, I wish I had the time to, to read through all this, but I want to see this, this example played out. Ephesians 5, we are commanded to imitate God, in verses 30 through 14, we are to have no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. In verses 15 through 20, careful how you live, wise, not foolish. 
Verse 19, we, we use that verse where it talks about you know, singing and making melody in your heart. For That's why we don't use instruments. 21, I'm going to be honest with you, we, we skip that one a lot. And we'll, we'll go back and look at it as we're going through the second time. 23 through, 22 through 24, we like this one a lot. Wives, submit to your husbands. At least the men do, right? 25 through 33, again, is some commands, but we, sometimes we don't focus on this one as much. Which is, husbands love your wives. We, we, we like that submit part. But we're going to look at that as if, you know, if we take that and just use it as a command side of things, okay, it's like, well, you need to do this and you need to do this. And so we're going to look at it a little differently. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents. And 1 through 3. Fathers, don't provoke. Bring them up in the Lord. I think that can apply to fathers and mothers. 5 through 8. Slaves, obey your masters. 9. Masters, you need to treat your slaves well. 10 through 17. Put on the armor of God. 18 through 20. So let me ask you this, what do you think of, of looking through Ephesians through that lens? <laughs> well, okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. Ephesians work out fear and no I'm thinking that is uh, James okay I'm sorry no Ralph I, I got on the tip of my tongue but well, it's in there anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's in the New Testament I promise mm. I can't remember where it's at but yeah yeah Paul I think Paul did say it yes yeah just a good guess to say Paul said he wrote a, almost the three-fourths of the New Testament um but if you look at that, this, this, this is kind of how, and again, I, I want to make sure I, I, I paint the, the picture of here. I'm not saying that this is entirely wrong, right? Because we do need to read through and see the commands. We need to see the examples. We need to see. But if we use a blueprint type thing, we're trying to, it's like, to me it's like having a, a, a building that's already completely built. It's the whole story's there for you. Everything's there. But then going back and grabbing the blueprints and trying to pick it apart. And, and I think that's what the Pharisees did, right? When you look at what the Pharisees did and how they, like Dad mentioned, they went back through the law, this, this law that was given to them that they just needed to follow, but then they, they went and, and just kind of picked at it, right? They, they, they made these examples that you didn't have to make. They put things in there that really didn't need to be in there, made people do things that really didn't need to do. And they took things sometimes that weren't commands and made them commands and tied them to everyday life. And so, I want to make sure that we don't do or get bogged down into that same thing. Maybe a little bit of this looking at the blueprints is not a bad idea, right? Whenever, you know, if you've given a perfect building, you didn't have to build it, you know, you might go back and look at the blueprints when you're having issues, right? Or, or when there might be some things wrong. That's a good thing. 
But uh, I think if you just look at the, the entire story that we have and the entire gospel message that we already have, we don't have to pick it apart so much. It's there and it's given to us, and, and we're going to look at that. So let's look at this through the story of God and through Christ and see how, how that may apply. So if we look at Ephesians 1 and, and go back and start this over, Paul mentions God or Jesus or refers to God and Jesus six times in the first two verses. And to me, that's a, a pretty telling sign. And actually, we're going to go through this and look. Anyone want to guess how many times, I didn't put it in there on purpose, that a Jesus, God, a Jesus and God is referred to in the six chapters of Ephesians? Just take a guess what you would think. No, it's in there. <laughs> Jesus or God is referred to in one way or the other 225 plus times in six chapters. So if I'm writing a letter to someone and I refer back to Jesus or God, and, and this letter, if you actually took it out, maybe probably only be, if you were to write it out, double space probably would be two pages, maybe three pages. If I write you a three or four, let's just say four, page letter, double space, we'll use a little bit bolder or higher uh, font size. And I re reference back to a someone or two people, which we know are one, 225 times in that one letter, do you think maybe that's pretty important? And so that's what I want to look through as we read this, this lens of, of looking back and looking through Jesus. So if we read this, this letter, uh, Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of, of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Repeatedly going back to God and, 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 and Jesus. If we look through 3 through 14, if you read chapters 3 through 14, and I didn't, or I'm sorry, verses 3 through 14 of, of Ephesians 1, that is the entire gospel message wrapped up in a, just several verses. <clears throat> he talks about the story of God and how he planted ahead of time and the purpose of Jesus, all in a very few chapters. Or verses, I'm sorry. And then 15 through 23. He looks at their strong faith in Jesus. So, so we take that and have that strong faith that we talked about earlier, and we put it in Jesus and his mighty power. And that faith becomes a whole lot stronger. Ephesians 2. 1 through 7, we were dead, but now we're alive through what? God's grace. Right? We were dead because, you know, if you go back and look at it, we were dead because we weren't following God's plan. But even though we didn't follow God's plan, we now have the ability to be able to be alive through God's grace and God's grace alone. And we're going to look at that a little bit. Verses 8 through 10, how are we saved? By God's grace. Now, that doesn't mean we just don't do anything, right? You know, people have taken that far to the left where, well, 
you grab these verses and say, well, look, this is all God's grace. There's nothing we can do. So therefore, God chooses who he's going to save and then makes them wake up to, to the realization of they need to be saved. And so it's all God's doing. You read the entire Bible, we see that that's not true. But we are safe through God's grace. And that's done through becoming new. And again, if you point back to it, through Jesus Christ. Because he offered himself freely to come down here, die for our sakes. And all we are asked to do is to believe in him, and then we're commanded to be baptized. And then obviously live a, live a faithful life, imitating Christ. 11 through 13 talks about the Gentiles, how they were heathens, the word that's the interpretation that's moved there. They were separated from the Jewish people, but all those people now, everyone is brought together through who? Jesus Christ. We're brought together through him. And then we have 14 through 18, which talks about peace and unity. And it's peace and unity through breaking down the old system. That is how he talks about this is how the peace and unity between the Jews and the Gentiles are brought together is by breaking down the old system and the old law. We're going to look at that. Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 16. And I'm going to do this in, uh, I'm going to read it from the New American Standard and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because I like the way that they, they, they word this and complement each other. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 in the New American Standard. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, so through his through coming to, to, into a fleshly body, and the enmity, which is the law and commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might take, excuse me, the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So Jesus comes down and uses his self to uses himself as a, as a human living on earth to abolish the old ways, the old commandments, the old practices, the old ordinances to bring people together into one. Now we're going to look at it. it doesn't mean we don't follow the examples of the Old Testament, but it, but he breaks down a lot of that legalism, I guess we'll say, as we put into it. And 16 says, And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, but it having put to death the enmity. So let's look at this through the New Living Translation because it, it puts it in a little easier to read and understanding version. I like this. 14 through 16, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united the Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law which is with its commandments and regulations. I like the word regulations there. Because sometimes we do that same things. We will we, we'll have the commandments, but then sometimes we take things too far and we like to add our regulations, our own little, little bit of legalism into it. He made peace between the Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward others was put to death. I think we need to focus on these, these verses right here. Because sometimes we will take our, our, the blueprint method and we'll point to these 
one body and one things, and we'll use it to call out others who don't do things like us, right? Instead of using, if you look at the examples in this verse, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. If you understand the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, it was extremely different. You know, this wasn't a two group of people who are, lived similar lives, right, and just had some, some different belief systems. These were two completely different cultures. Yeah, and, and tremendous hatred between the two. And he's saying, look, Jesus has come and broke down these barriers. You need to get it together. Become one. Work out your differences. And in a sense, he's saying a lot of these things through here don't matter. The, the things that you're going to argue about, they talk, they, they get, the main example we see, or kind of two, is food, uh, food sacrifice to idols, and circumcision. Is the two kind of main arguments we see that, that kind of go back and forth a lot of times between them. And, and they go on later, look, this stuff doesn't matter. What matters is you're one in Christ, and, and you work that out. And I think... I think all of us, and I'm not just saying the Church of Christ or, or anyone else, I think we've all, in a sense, lost the meaning of these verses right here. If you look at, we, we studied the, the, the history of the Restoration Movement, if you go back and study that history, this was honestly one of their goals, was to, to, to get all the, the different groups that had split into all these factions and get them to come together and, and work out the differences, be united in one, and then that kind of warped into some a different brand of, well, we're the one, and everyone else is wrong, right? And, and so we, we need to get back to this, this idea of unity. And when we've seen this, and I talked about this last week, we've seen this amongst the churches of Christ themselves, where it's like, well, we do this this way, and you don't do it this way, so we're not going to have anything to do with you. And we, got, we need to get away from that. I don't think we need to get away from it from a church of Christ perspective to other churches as well. We've pulled back a lot of times and said, well, we're not going to have anything to do with the Baptists. We're not going to have anything to do with the Methodists. We're not going to have anything to do with all these groups because they don't believe the same we do. And if you look at the message of Christ through this lens, that's not biblical. We should be trying our best to, to find a unity and, and a oneness in all this. Now, I, I understand it's not some easy thing where we just, oh, we're going to be one and do it. There's a lot of division there. But I think we need, instead of just separating out, everyone being their own group, we need to try to figure out how we're going to get back to this. That's a whole other, probably 10-week lesson. How the restoration movement was, yeah. they were willing in that day to sit down and talk and look at the Bible. And, and so as a result, they, many did come to you know, the New Testament truth of things you know, and yep. did leave their traditions. Because we really, don't do that so much anymore. no, we don't, and, and we've made it so complicated. We've made church so complicated. We've made Christianity so complicated. I mean, Paul talks about it. the The gospel message is Jesus and Him crucified. I mean, that, that I mean, that's how simple it is, and, and we need to get back to that sim simplicity. I understand there's some underlying things. I understand that there's commandments that we try, that we are commanded to do, and that we should follow. <clears throat> but I think we've made it overly more complicated than what Jesus intended it to be and what the Gospels even intended it to be. And we'll, we'll look at some of that. One thing that just boggles my mind is 
Right. And the Jews were glad. Yeah. They, they said they deserved to go to hell because they weren't God's chosen people. Yeah, they, yeah. The yeah, Jews. There's no trying amongst Jews to bring the Gentiles to Christ. That's why when Peter and converted Cornelius in the New Testament, there was such a controversy amongst the Jewish Christians because that was really revolutionary new stuff to them. I mean, they did. They, that way we talk about they hated each other. And the Gentiles would have outnumbered the Jews. I don't know what it would have been, but by a lot. By a lot. All right, so let's, uh, I'll try to pick this up. Ephesians 2. Um, let me finish. Where was I at? Peace, unity, breaking down. We're, and then, okay, so you got peace, unity, and then we're going to bring it all into one. We're all to be one. And who's the cornerstone of that oneness? Jesus, right? It's all brought in again. He finishes this chapter, bring it all back to everyone's one under Jesus. Ephesians 3, um, I'm not going to read 1 through 8 again, but this is the mystery revealed. The mystery of Christ is being revealed through Ephesians, that the, the gospel message is for everyone, not just the Jews, it's for Jews and Gentiles alike. So I'm going to skip through, through reading that. 10 through 13, we see the purpose of the church. All right, and... and, and We'll use that sometimes to, to justify getting involved in politics. I'm not saying there's anything wrong about getting involved in politics as a church. But the purpose of the church was, again, to spread it to everyone. When he talks about to the, the, the commanders and leaders of all nations, again, this is a, this is a reference to, to spreading the gospel to the world, to everyone. And then 14 through 21, we see spiritual growth, but we see that spiritual growth. We're not just to, to grow spiritually, we're to grow spiritually through his love. Let's look at 17 through 19 of chapter 3. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Again, starting out with Christ. We trust in Christ. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Again, he's talking about the Gentiles here when he, when, he's, he's, he, when he transitions to this. right? And so he's saying, look, we're bringing everyone in on this, so you need to understand how deep this is going to go, how far God's love is going to go, and you need to mimic it, and we're going to start looking at that. 19, may you experience the love of Christ through it, through what? By spreading the message to everyone. Though it is too great to fully understand, right? Ralph, we just talked about that. It's, 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 God's love is too great to fully understand. We're never going to understand it all. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes through God. So we're made complete by understanding and mimicking God's love. And in verse 15, we are to love like Christ. Live, I'm sorry. Well, no, where am I? Where am I? I'm, I lost myself here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so we're to love like Christ, right? I got Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 here, and I may have, I may have mismet, uh, put some stuff in there. For there is one body, one spirit. I see what I, I, I skipped ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Unity in Christ. All right, so here we are. So verse 4 through 6 of chapter 4. Unity in Christ. For there is one body, one spirit, one glorious hope for the future. 
There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and all living th- through all. Again, sometimes we take that to, to pull it out and say, well, look, we're the, we're the one, right? We're the ones doing this. And that's not, I don't think that's what that means, right? I think we're to, 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 in, a, in a spirit of, of what we just talked about, we are to try to all become one under Christ. And this is the key here, verse 15 and 4. Instead, we speak the truth in love. And how do we do that? Growing in every way more and more like Christ. Everything, as he writes this chapter out, starts pointing to us being more like Christ, being more like God. Not just following a blueprint, but following the, the pattern and the story of God. See, we, we pride ourselves on speaking the truth, but I, you look on people's Facebook pages or hear them in person, and it ain't in love. No, no. And, and we struggle with this one. That, that, that is key, speaking the truth in love. It's hard to do sometimes. So in becoming like Christ, verse 15, we are to love like Christ. Verse 17 through 32, we are to live like Christ. If we look at Ephesians 4, 23 through 24, instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, but you are a new nature, I'm sorry, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. In that we are to, everything, everything he starts to write about here, and all the command, you know, we can look at 4 and 5, and it talks about all these things we are to do or not to do. But if you look at how he sums it all up, it's we're to do this because we are to be like Christ. We are to live like Christ. We are to love like Christ. And so all those things are there, but it, 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 it natural falling, we'll see that. You follow this naturally. If you're doing, if you're trying to be like God, you're going to try to be like Christ, all these other commands and stuff are just going to fall into place. They're going to happen. We need, we need examples but they're going to happen. Ephesians 5. Be like God is continued in verse 1 through 20. We are to imitate God to Christ. Again, he emphasizes this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, including reading Scripture. Because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love, again, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So imitate God in Christ. Verse 21, and I, I, I want to focus on this one because sometimes we like to read over 21 through tw- uh, and 33 rather quickly and then just kind of focus on a couple verses. i got 10 minutes. 521, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we're talk- this is talking about the marriage relationship. And I think you can apply it to every relationship, really. But then he goes into... We kind of we hit over this real quick sometimes. Right? We like to submit... Well, let me put it this way. The men in the church like the wives submit to your husbands. Right? But he starts this out, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So basically... Your marriage relationship should be built on the influence of Christ and how that works. And we're going to look at that. And so, 21 through, through 33, a lot of people will, will, will put this as a, the example of how the marriage relationship is supposed to be, and, and it is, but it's more of a hierarchical 
the man's in charge, the woman's you know, to be submissive type hierarchical. If you actually read this entire chapter from 21 through 33, it's, it's, not, it's not laid out like that. He starts out saying in 21, submit to one another. And then he goes on, and he talks about, uh, I think it's 22 through 23. He spends just a little bit of time telling the wife to submit to the husband as the, as is the, the church submits to Christ, right? A little bit of time. And then he, he gives a whole paragraph on how husbands are supposed to be. And so which one do you think is more important? I mean, they're both important. But which one is he putting a, fo- a higher focus on? If I'm writing a letter and I say, okay, well, you know, make sure you do this, but then I drill down and say, look, husbands, you are to love your wife as, you lo- as Christ loved the church. You're to sacrifice for her. You're to give your life up for her. You're, you're to, to do all these things. And I, don't, I didn't put it all down there. I should have done it so I could read through it. More responsibilities. Right. With a family. They do. I agree. <laughs> that is true. Ronald said the, the man is the head, but the woman's the neck, and she turns the head, right? But I, I think, and I, let me say this, and then I'll get to Dad. We see this more as an authoritative type head, right? Well, the man's the head. I see this, and I think if you look at this from a, from a cultural standpoint too, I see this as more of a representative type headship. It's not a, I'm, a lead, I'm the leader, I'm the, the man in charge. It's I am the representation of my family and what it looks like. And what happens with that family or my marriage is a representation of me. So I, I don't think it's just a, we, we like, well, the man is the head and he the, has the say. and that's not, what we're, that's not what it's talking about here. And as you read through this, you'll see this. What were you going to say? submissive and, and he was really hammering that and and I could tell even as a young man a lot of the ladies in that, and it was a young married type class young folks and a lot of the ladies would squirm and, and, and cast an eyes and, and everything and and I raised my hand and I read the section that talked about husbands and I said gentlemen I truly believe that if Christian husbands will practice these verses there's not a Christian woman in the world won't gladly submit to a man like that. And boy, you should have heard that. <laughs> Amens and the coming from that's them women, was, boy. That's what I was just fixing to yeah. say. Those yeah. women would be submissive if the, if the husbands would do. If, the thing about it is, is when the husbands don't stand up and do their job that they're supposed to as the head of the family, right. it's really hard for the women to be submissive. Or the head of the church. Or the mindset of somebody's got to do it, it's got to get done. Right. Well, so We see that in the church. I'm, I'm going to go sidetracked here for a minute. We see that in the church. How many times do we have women who are more willing to do stuff than the men in this church? A lot. Probably two to one. I feel my word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you don't. No, 
And so we, we've, and that's why I said in, in, in my notes on the beginning, we, we like to skip over this. We don't like to talk about this a lot. But we do. Oh, well, I lost my place. <laughs> oh. So I got five more minutes, So even though they ring that bell. But so then we wrap all that up, the oneness, and then we get into... To, so that, my, my point in that is, it is a mutual relationship. It is not a, the man's here, the woman's here. It is a side-by-side relationship. The point being is going back to when you look at the Garden of Eden in chapter 1 and 2, that was a mutual relationship whenever he created man and woman. They work together. And it's the same thing they're trying to mimic here. So we'll, we'll look back at that. Um, chapter 6, parental mutual. Again, this is a, mutual, a mutality. I can't say it. Thank you. Mutual thing. Right? The parents, or the, the kids are supposed to be respectful of the parents, but at the same time, the parents need to be respectful of the children. Right? You don't antagonize your children. Then, you talk, then it goes into the, the master-slave relationship. We can, take, we can even put this to an employee-employer relationship if we want to apply it today. But again, you are to respect each other. And then he closes it out by saying, you need to put on the armor of Christ. Again, put, or the armor of God, which is the, 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 we know that. I'm not going to go through all of it. And then finally, pray that he can spray the good, pray. Pray that he can spread the good message plan to everyone. So my question is, do you see a difference? when you look at it through the, 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 through the different lenses. Right? One is, oh, we just got to follow these commands because they're in there, or we got to follow these examples for, because they're in there. The other one takes it and spreads it to the story of God and says, we're going to do this because Jesus did it. We want to be like God. Look at God's story and His message. We want to be like God. We want to be like Jesus. We want to do the things that we, he, he, he did and then commands us to. So next week what we're going to do because we can't get rid of the commands, the examples, and the necessary inference. We can't get rid of that. They're there. We have to follow them. So we're going to take that and we're going to apply it through the story of God. Taking the commands, instead of just saying, well, all the commands are here, so we've got to follow that blueprint. Take all those commands and then filter them through the story of God and see what that looks like in our lives. And it looks a whole lot different. The church will look a whole lot different. You'll look a whole lot different when you, when you go through that lens. So we'll look at that next week. Thank you.